Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Anarchy Arena podcast. As some of you may remember from a few weeks ago, John and I went to a Black Lives Matter slash anti-racism protest here in our quaint little Tennessee town. Today on the show, we happen to have the organizer of that event with us, Mr. Michael Sanghetti. Michael talks with us about what went into the organization of that event, the fallout from that event, and where he hopes we get to in this country, as well as so much more. Make sure to take a look at his social media links in the video description, as well as the show notes for this episode. And with that, we go on to episode 34 of the Anarchy Arena podcast, The People's Episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Anarchy Arena podcast. Thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, Today is going to be an interesting episode, to say the least. Uh, For those of you who are regular listeners, you might remember a few episodes ago, uh, we had my dad on, the uh, retired police officer, and we happened to mention that right before we had him on is the day that John and I decided to go and join a protest here in our small, quaint little Tennessee town. Um... We had a blast, as we talked about. We uh, learned a lot of things. We uh, we genuinely enjoyed ourselves, despite some of the uh, issues that arose from other people there. And we have someone to thank for that. And we actually have that person here on the show today. We have the person who helped organize that event, and we thought it'd be an interesting person to bring on and talk about everything involved with that. So, listeners of the Anarchy Arena podcast, I give you Mr. Michael Sanghetti. Hey, um, yeah, I uh, I hosted the the protest here. I um, kind of been getting into activism, especially since COVID uh, started up, and then you know with the George Floyd stuff, I just was really hoping to um, start to make a difference. Um, I guess that's uh, me. I'm just pretty pretty. You know, I bartend here in Murfreesboro. Grew up here. Went to Seagull, all that good stuff. Oh, okay. So this is actually one of the questions I wanted to ask, which is what got you? What what was the spark that made you become politically active? Um, and and you kind of just answered it, which was the the George Floyd murder. Um, uh, like, did you have any political leanings before that happened, or did like something just like click in your head? And well, I mean, so what we kind of got me started down the path, you know, um, as most people who grew up here in Murfreesboro, I was a Republican decades ago. Um, and I said decades, it's like it was like 10 years ago. But, um, you know, <laughs> really just um, like, you know, they say it a lot, but like getting out, getting out to college and getting out of the comfort zone really kind of expands your horizons and. It was a process. Um, my mom is actually another activist. She was also at the protest and kind of helped co MC it with me because I was kind of everywhere making sure, you know, fights didn't break out. 
Um, but she she's been active in it. And so, like, I've had an ear to the ground about the activist community. Um, but what really clicked, it wasn't just the George Floyd stuff. Um, I actually I broke down and was curious uh, because I, I considered myself a liberal. And, you know, I was like, oh, Bernie Sanders is great. That was, you know, four years ago. And like Bernie Sanders is great. Blah, blah, blah. Medicare for all, Medicare for all. And then he lost. And then, like, he, you know, recently here, he lost again. And that just kind of radicalized me, I'd say. And I broke down. I bought Das Capital by Karl Marx. And then I bought the Communist Manifesto by Marx and Engels. And I read those. And then I was like, holy crap. Um, no wonder people crap on this so hard and don't want you to read it. Everything he says is, like, emphatically true. Um, you know. And so I then I got into Lenin and... Um, before all this happened, I've been, I've been a member of uh, CPUSA, which is uh, Communist Party of the United States. Um, I've been a member there for about nine months now. So I was you could say I was already pretty radicalized, but I was just kind of tired of sitting on my ass and like, see, you know, having to go to Nashville for protests. Uh, you know, it is the major city center, but Murfreesboro, it, it's quaint, but it's not small anymore. You know, I remember 15 years ago it was small, but, you know, we got over 100,000 people here. We should be having actions here. And so I just wanted to do something and it started with just me by myself. And then without a week and a half of planning, I planned that protest. And we had about, I think the newspaper says about 200 people. So that was really cool. Um, but yeah, it just kind of motivated me. Well, we're certainly glad that you did decide to set it up. And I have to say it, it went off pretty well, all things considered. Um, and by the way, you can tell your mother I said this, man, that is not a woman I'd want to see pissed off in a dark alley. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to see her pissed off in a well-lit alley. Yeah, no, how the, no. How the fuck did you make it out of your teenage years? Right? Uh, I, I, barely, barely. I'll, I'll say that. Um, you know, Italian mother, Italian me. Um, we just we get we, we get used to getting yelled at for minor things. So you just you toughen up pretty good. <laughs> um. I mean, that, that's awesome to hear. Um, I, I've talked about this before. Um, I was a libertarian, uh, like, God, like almost 10 years ago, same, about the same amount of time. Uh, and what kind of flipped me, um, I haven't read uh, Dos Capital, uh, but I, I, I do subscribe to uh, so, uh, anar anarcho-socialism. And uh it, it what got to me was when as a libertarian, I was sitting there like you fuckers don't actually care about people's rights. You just want all the money in the world. And then after that, you don't give a shit what happens to anyone else. Like you think you think everybody here in this little group is going to be a millionaire if the government got off your back. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, no, I mean, for sure. And that's what I say. Um, I actually made a comment the other day. So, you know, the difference between. um a libertarian and a Republican, I mean, sorry, a libertarian and a Democrat, because they actually al align a lot more than people think. The difference is um, like empathy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's me, me, me and just not a whole lot of we when, um, you know, Marx, Marx talks about it a lot. And Ingalls goes really good into it. But uh, it's like, you know, human nature is communal. Like, you know, it is like, you know, the, the hierarchy is structured and, you know, made up. But like, Human nature's always been communal. There's just the hierarchy continually changes. And yeah. like, you know, so you need other people to survive. You cannot survive without other people. And that's where I just kind of don't sign on to libertarianism. And you say you're anarcho-socialist and I'm like, oh, yeah, we we want the same things. We just disagree about how to get there, you know? 
yeah, I just, you know, I just want to dismantle everything and then mm-hmm. have communal living. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, being um, a Marxist Leninist, I'm more about the path and then like, but the goal is the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're still comrades. It's okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I just, <laughs> John just wants to see more things burn along the way, you know. <laughs> hey, no. I'm all for revolution. All for it. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it, it's funny because um, I, I was reading. Uh, some news articles that were talking about how the pandemic has has radicalized uh, millennials and you know Gen Z and stuff like that. And I'm sitting there going, it wasn't the pandemic that did this. It's the fact that we felt like we got lied to. Um, yeah, like like I I I was so disenfranchised when I went to college to go into communications and found out that my degree wasn't going to mean shit, and I was going to get paid crap for like the first like five years of my work and then maybe maybe i'll make money but it's not likely and i was like oh like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and the biggest lie um we're told and why i think a lot of gen z and millennials have kind of became radicalized the biggest lie we're told is that in like socialism or communism or even anarcho-socialism is that you're you're groomed from birth to work and die but then like you do a pretty critical analysis of you know capitalism here in america and it's like well arts degrees are shamed you're supposed to go get a degree in communications or business or like civics or anything like that or engineering or stem major and it's like because those are going to make you the most money and then if you don't go to college you're literally just a laborer and so you work until you die like you're groomed to work until you die in the system we exist in so, like, that's the biggest lie. And then another reason I feel like why the younger generations, like millennials and Gen Z, have become radicalized is versus, like, Gen X and um, the boomers is they had this enemy that was the USSR and, like, big bad evil. Um, we didn't grow up, most of us, like, in a time to remember of the USSR. Like, you know, 1991, the, the Soviet Union fell. You know, I was right. born in 95. So the enemy they tried to give us was China, but like we're not fighting proxy wars with China and you're not going to get kids to care about the trade war we're having when we're struggling to just find jobs that pay us enough to live. Um, So the failure to propagandize an enemy that is socialist, I think, has opened people's minds more towards the idea. Um, It's a good idea to me. I mean, it's all been propaganda and lies about the Soviet Union for like 80% of it anyways. But, you know, there's no big red scare, big red evil that we have to worry about anymore. This is more like, no, we just need to improve our living here and stop worrying about all this other stuff, like 800 bases across the country, I mean, across the world that serve no purpose but to scare people into letting us do what we want. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I've all the the one that's always got me is we still have guys sitting on the DMZ line in Korea for a war that ended literally what seventy years ago now, and they're just yeah, they're like just sitting there. Yeah, they're just sitting there, just looking at an invisible line, going, "Well, yes, they're not crossing today." Okay, right. <laughs> Make like, that a lot of these countries. They just want to do their own thing, and we're just like we're poking a bear, and it's like, why? Yeah. Like just like China just wants to do its thing. China's not expanding. I mean, besides the type the Tibet thing, which whatever. But besides that, China's not taking over countries. They're not fueling unrest in Germany or 
Spain or anything. They're just kind of improving themselves. And, and at least and they like, take the time to recognize they have their own shit to worry about. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, so yeah, you, you're like, what are we doing with all of this military resources when like the roads are crumbling? I had a pothole that blew up my tire two years ago. And that same pothole is still there. And I think it's on, it's on church street. I'm just like, what is this? What is this happening for? Like, I don't understand. Uh, well, you know, I, I have my own issues with China. Uh, you know, they're, they're way too damn authoritarian from my taste. But um, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that, that you bring up a very good point. It's like people, you know, we, we've been, you know, we, we've been propagandized that, you know, communism, you know, if everyone will starve on communism, I'm sitting here like, Bitch, people are starving under capitalism. The fuck are you on about? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, no. Like, there are kids in Mississippi right now that don't have a guaranteed meal at all today. Like, and what, what what's the meme going around right now? If the U.S. saw what the U.S. was doing to the U.S., the U.S. would invade the U.S. to save the U.S. from the U.S.? Right. Well, <laughs> well, funny right. enough, we're kind of doing that. Mm. Um, like, Oh, yeah. Like. Mm. Like the fucking uh, the Trump Stapo that's in uh, it's in Portland right now. Oh, well, uh, and New al York al almost not in Portland because the mayor basically said, "Um, you can fuck off." Well, yeah. I think I think they also I think they also were told to get the fuck out of there as well. So hey, yeah. protesting works. Um, um, I mean, you say that, and then they're still sending them to Milwaukee and, and Chicago and Albuquerque and everywhere else. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, that's that's something that as a person with a Hebrew background, uh, legitimately terrifies me. Yeah, I have. It's funny. The only people on the right that I've connected with about these protests, because, you know, a lot of the right isn't upset that these federal agents are doing what they're doing. Right. The only people that are is the Jewish community that like of people that I know. Yeah, because we're like, all going, like, no, whoa, this is fucked up. whoa, whoa, we remember or we, we have family that remember the last time this happened. Um, Y'all need now motherfuckers need a history book. Uh, just saying. No, yeah. no, no, they actually need to read the goddamn history book. That's the problem. Mm. They, uh, they need they need to stop reading U.S. history. Thank, books. thank you. I was about to say, yeah, they need a history book not written in this country. Uh, yeah. because because that's the, that's also part of the problem is like the anti-intellectual movement that's in this country right now has led to a lot of uh, a lot of the propaganda and a lot of people not realizing what's going on around them. Like, like, for instance, why the fuck is wearing a face mask during a pandemic a fucking political issue? Like, what the fuck is that shit about? It makes. <sighs> I, I think if we had the answer for that, we would have the answer for a lot of other things, too. I, it's I mean, just <sighs> we kind of do have the answer to that. That's the problem. Like, The answer to that is we, we have a we have one side of the aisle that tells people not to believe what the facts that are in front of them. And we have the other side of the aisle. That's too much of a pussy to tell, uh, to fight them on that fact. They want to bring togetherness to America, which it's, it's a great idea. But the problem is, is that you can't, you can't fight intolerance with tolerance. Like that's just not how it works. You cannot tolerate intolerance. That's it is the, it is the, uh, the there's the the contradiction of of tolerance is that you you can't allow ideas like that to fester because once they do then you go away 
Um, like it did like like the the SS didn't start with you know start with the military actions. It started as a small movement like the Tea Party. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it slowly started integrating itself into the into the politics of Germany. And then it started it started their shit. I mean, fucking Hitler suspended elections which you know captain dumbass tried to do recently which which is funny that he he even announced that because there's no way that congress is going to allow that to happen so the whole thing is a giant farce of ooh, look at me again look at me again take your mind off the fact that i sent people into cities that i totally should have sent let's not pay attention to that let's look at how dumb i am yeah i think you attribute to malice which could be easily uh could be easily Explained with stupidity, um, like, like you, you think he had a plan? I don't think he had a plan. I think that this you know dementia patient just had a phone. Um, oh no no no! He didn't have a plan. The people that are smarter than him, which isn't many, around him had a plan and went, "Oh, he did that. We're going to use it this way." Yeah, I would agree with that. Anyways, uh, Michael. <laughs> no, your guys are good. I'm just, I'm taking it in. I'm taking it in. It's no big deal. So I, I have to ask, Michael, just because I'm curious, how much actual legwork did it take in setting up um, the uh, protest that we had? Um, well, so that protest particularly, I, ha- I ended up having to I ended up reaching out to some friends of mine um, just for like um, supplies, help. Um, uh, one of them was a speaker. She was the native woman. Her name's Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she helped, uh, reach out and plan and post flyers and spread the word. And she was really great. And then my friend, uh, John, he, uh, he ended up being able to bring like water bottles and signs and posters and like stuff to make signs with. So, you know, it was really great. A lot of what I was doing was like spreading the word, getting the okay from the city and the police department. I'm just kind of seeing what the boundaries were, um, kind of keeping my ear to the ground with a couple other contacts I had. Um, about what the what kind of counter protests we could expect. Um, leading up to that, I'd actually been out at the square um, every day for almost two weeks. <clears throat> for almost two weeks, um, leading up to that, for about four hours every day. Um, and I'd already been contacted about the um, Sons of Confederate Veterans wanting to come and just like intimidate me by myself. Um, so you know, I was just like, you know what? Like it kind of was just like one of those moments, like nah, like fuck you guys. I'm going to try to bring out as many people as I can and show you that, nah, we don't, we don't care about this statue. This, like, we don't care about what you think about police. We realize what's actually going on here. And, you know, had having conversations with police officers while I was out there and stuff. I was like, look, man, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm saying that the system you per- perpetuate is bad in itself. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of them got it. And you know, what's crazy is um, I spoke to a few black officers and they're like, wow, I didn't even know all these things because I spat like facts like about the cornerstone speech or the Confederacy and like a bunch of other things. And they're like, I didn't even know all this. I was like, this is the problem. People don't realize that, A, the first cops were slave catchers. Like, yes. this is the system that it was built off of. That's the that's the base. And so, you know, I mean, of course, no cops quit or anything. But, yeah, you get you, the, the, the mass. You brought it up. It's like the, the war on the intellectual. And it, it's crazy because people don't want to listen to experts anymore. They want to just listen to whoever's on their side. Right. Confirmation yeah. bias. And, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it was it was it was a lot of legwork and it was crazy and it was scary. I had death threats while I was out there. I got death threats after. 
you know, I, I brought up, I mentioned to you guys earlier, like, you know, there's a Facebook group of 300 people that like I'm public enemy number one. And all they're doing is spreading like, look, he's a statist and a communist. And I had to like take all my information down and make my Facebook private and stuff. Cause I have a thousand friends and then like people, you know, so like information about me spreads generally quickly. Well, so, you I know, mean, it was a lot. Well, first off, I want to I want to say congratulations on your new designation as public enemy. Number one. Yeah. We'll get you a blue ribbon. Um, <laughs> yep. Please. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can wear it around town you'll be like you know you'll be the town pariah be f- it's fine it's fine you know you get free drinks it's kind of cool um yeah 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 <laughs> my circles love it my circles love it um i definitely can't go into uh certain bars anymore uh, that's for sure and uh, i couldn't we we won't ask uh, you to name them but we we have an idea yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no i wasn't i wasn't gonna just out people but you know you guys know pretty sure we know which ones you're talking about um now, I noticed something while we were out there, and I'm curious to know if this was a planned thing or if it just kind of happened organically. But I noticed that local PD seemed to be hanging out with our uh, MAGA-wearing, flag-waving friends, while the sheriff's department seemed to be making sure everything was staying copacetic. Was that a pre-planned thing, or did it just kind of work out that way? Um, so, actually, I have to kind of crap on the sheriff's department here for a second. Okay. Um. Well, so the MPD is the one who I was in contact with because, I mean, though the statue itself is county property, we were on city property. So right. I was in contact with the captains and they said they would maybe only have like a, they weren't going to like plan to show up in force or anything like that. Um, before we started, I had a conversation with two sheriff's deputies and one sheriff's deputy, he like, he like leans in real close under his breath and like kind of giving me the side eye, like trying to intimidate me. And like, I'm not a big guy, but this guy was smaller than me. So I was like, what are you trying to do? You know? Um, and he goes, he goes, vandalism will not be tolerated. And I was just immediately taken aback. Cause I went over there to talk to him being like, Hey guys, this is kind of our plan. Blah, blah, blah. I've talked to the MPD. I haven't had a chance to talk to any sheriff deputies or anything like that. And, he go, and that's when he says it, like, it interrupts me and says it. And I was like, wow, man, um, you know, came over here trying to bring the olive branch, but you clearly have no interest in that. And he goes, well, we believe in your right to free speech. I said, well, you saying that already tells me everything I need to know about where you're standing on this. Yep. And then, you know, it kind of kind of when we had that woman, there was a woman in the middle of the crowd who kind of stirred up trouble. Ugh. And then an older gentleman came in at apparently trying to be the hero, but he ended up punching a few of our people and the sheriff's department's just standing there, like looking, watching it happen. And, uh, I'm over here. I'm the one breaking it up. Me and like my two guys, I reached out to help with like a little enforcement. So they were were bigger than me. Um, we're trying to like separate. So we get the guy away, but he punched about two people multiple times. Like, and we got it all on video and everything. And, uh, the sheriff's department didn't come over there until, I had physically put him out of the crowd myself. And um, uh, my one of the guys that got assaulted was went to go file a police report with the sheriff's department. And he goes, oh, we're not handling that. You got to take it up with the MPD. He goes, so he goes over to the MPD and he goes, well, we we are not actually handling that. You got to go back to the sheriff's department. So he goes back to the sheriff's department and they go, well, you kind of deserve to get punched anyways. Excuse and me? So like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um I like if I wasn't such in a fluster, I'd have got the guy's badge number, his name. But he said you deserve to get punched anyways. And so he never got to file a police report. 
with these people. And we've been in contact with a lawyer about it. But like this, it, it, when I when I when I heard that, I was like, OK, so no, nobody here is on our side. Like that just shows you how deep this goes. We uh, yeah. we, we happen to have one friend who's on the uh, Rutherford County Sheriff's Department and we got to talk with her afterwards. And I looked at her, I kind of under my breath, I was like, this is probably the last place you want to be on the side you're on. And all she looked at me, with, she just kind of looked at me and smiled and said, no comment. I'm in uniform. Understood. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, I know a lot of cops, like, I, you know, I, like, what a, way I explain to people is like, cops, the people who are cops are not bad people. There could be very good people that are cops. I've had some great conversations with them. But what a lot of cops fail to understand is it's the system itself that is put in place to oppress people. You know, um, something great is like a cop will say, I've never abused my authority. And like the reply for me is, no, every cop abuses their authority, whether directly or indirectly, you know, whether you mean to or whether it's an accident, you know. Um, so it, it's just one of those things like, you know, was when I heard that, I was kind of like I called the sheriff's department the next day and filed a complaint with the sergeant. He was like, there's nothing we can do about it because you don't know who it was. And I'm like, see, that's an issue with the problem. It's like, you know, two guys that went to respond to this. It was only two deputies. You, you tell me you can't find that? Like, you know. Well, they, they should have done something immediately. Um, well, absolutely. That, like, uh, see, that's the reason why when we did the episode with uh, with the, the former police officer, uh, Chris's dad, I said, I don't think that all cops are bastards, but I think the institution that's being run with cops is what's making cops into bastards. Because uh, I don't think I don't think people are inherently evil. I think that's an archaic idea. But I do believe that when you give someone a position of power and give them kind of carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want and they can get out of it, that you can create some horrific situations doing that. Well, um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I have like, you know, and people ask me all the time, like, do you have family members that are cops or EMTs or fire department? I, absolutely, I do. Um, I'm Italian, dude. My family's from New York City. We have, and like the other side of me is an Irish. We're cops. We're firefighters. We're EMTs. I've got into arguments with them too, um, but you know, I had I lost some. I lost a few family members in 9/11. Like they're still up there. They're they're still firefighters to this day. Still cops. Um, I have to explain to them like, look, I know you. I know you're not a bad person. You're my family, but you right. gotta realize some things. Right. It's it's it because it, it, I, I Chris had to hold me back because I was about ready to go over there. Um, Chris didn't want to bail me out of jail, which cool. Thank you. you you're welcome <laughs> because I knew it was going to happen. The, the second he started uh, edging forward to that mic, I looked at two of our friends by us like, all right, here's where it happens, guys. Just just get ready. Just get ready. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, I like I'm I'm a very passionate person and like seeing all this shit happen, especially in basically my backyard, like it kills me. Like I didn't like I never knew. I never knew that Murfreesboro had a statue to a fictional character in our public square. Like oh, Johnny man. Reb, Johnny Reb is not a real person. I, I know some people are not going to like appreciate that, but it's the Johnny truth. Reb is is not a real person. Um, that you could have a, a statue to Spider-Man there and it'd be exactly the same thing, except less racist. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, like, I, I can understand having like, as much as I hate the fucking guy, uh, you could have a statue to Nathan Bedford Forrest there. At least that's somewhat historical to Murfreesboro. But 
like and not I, the best way. No, and not the best way. We have we have much better historical people that we can honor here in Murfreesboro. Um, I actually compiled a list. I'm about to pull it up here in just a second. Well, look um, at you doing research. Good for you. I'm impressed. Well, I was like. <laughs> Well, when we were when we were planning on going to that uh to the meeting, I was like, okay, if I'm going to go up there, uh, I, I need to I need to come up there with solutions, not just problems. Um, and uh, hold on one second, it's taking me a minute to find this. Um, do, 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 do. there we go, get that, and uh, there we go. Okay, uh, let's see, who was the one? oh uh, Ridley McLean. A U, uh, he was a U.S. Uh, Navy rear admiral, fought during the uh, fought in 1872 and in the First World War. He was one of the oldest uh, rear admirals in the First World War. Uh, David Price is from Murfreesboro. Uh, Margaret Ray Seaton, who is a NASA, a NASA astronaut, she's from Murfreesboro. Uh, Mary Scales, who is a professor and civic leader. She's from Murfreesboro. We have many options of notable people we could put on that. Uh, uh, put make a statue out of that is would actually promote not only togetherness but would actually promote people. Um, it actually promote people that did something of worth of note other than a fictional character. You know, because and, and I hate statues, but if we gotta have a statue, let's have someone up there that everyone can appreciate. You know. Well, yeah. And, you know, what we were even talking about. Um, so Miss Madeline Scales is vice mayor um, and her father was the first black vice mayor and black city councilman in Murfreesboro. And so, like, that was our push. Um, I've, a lot of people don't know this, but Rutherford County has a civil rights plaque um, down in Mississippi at the Civil Rights Museum that all we'd have to do is just get it here. And it's of all the people that were lynched in Rutherford County as like a memorial to him. And um, like one of the people is actually Miss Madeline Scales's cousin. And so, you know, this was back in the sixties and seventies. Oh, like Robert Scales. Th- is that the guy you're talking about? Robert Scales? Yeah. Robert Scales. Mm. Yep. That was the other person I had on my list. Yeah. And um, so like all we're asking for is like, like to actually honor people lived here and did good things. I'm not saying like, like, I mean, I'm one of those people like, I find it insane. We're the only country in the world that like loves a rebellion, like our own rebellion to where it almost tore the country apart and that we hate the North for it and then love the South for it. Even and then the, in the process, we've lost why this war was fought somehow. Well, I think, yeah, well, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the way the history books have been and probably, you know, will continue to be written, unfortunately, for too long has romanticized that time so much. And there's an old saying that where history is written by the winners and you can tell who the winners were. The winners were <clears throat> white guys, white guys with power. <laughs> That's who the winners right. were in this case. And they wrote the history books to romanticize it and to put their spin on it and to try and hide for lack of a better term, some of the uglier truths which historians are a lot now like, hey, um, that's not that's not right. Can you please stop teaching your kids that? No, it's it's, it's crazy. It is the, the, like the whole lost cause narrative that's that's plagued the you know southern people. I mean, shit, I believed it until like until I actually did my own research into it. Uh, you know, you want to know what the South 
explicit purpose of fighting the Civil War is. It's not states' rights. Nope. Like uh, fucking gods and generals in Gettysburg would like us to believe. Um, it was t- to not change their labor force, aka slaves. Uh, the North was pushing for abolition, and the South said, no, 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 no. You can do whatever the fuck you want in New York, but here in Tennessee and South Carolina and Virginia and, you know, all the other uh, all the other southern colonies. We don't want that. But you know, like we we have our we have our situation set set up. And it's like like it, the, the amount of misinformation that goes into like a 5-year period of our country's history and how many people hold on to those like to hold on to those symbols because they it's all about you know uh, it's not hair it's not hate it's heritage uh bullshit it's all about hate yep um i hate i hate to break it to you uh nobody used those flags post the civil war uh to bring communities together they use those flags to intimidate people out of their suburbs out of their you know out of their cities out of their communities because they weren't the right color or they you know, they were homosexual or they uh, were Jewish or, you know, they were not a, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Like, like, it, and it's a simple Google that you can find how these flags have been used over the last 60, 70 years in counter protest to civil rights movements. Like, where's the heritage? If you're counter, what, what is your heritage? If you're counter protesting the civil rights movement. Your heritage is the oppression of black people. And that that's kind of that's it. That's it. That's your heritage. That's what you're saying. And yeah. like it's not even an argument. Yeah, uh, I, that's uh, that's the reason. Go ahead. That's the reason why when I had I had my little you know little speech, I said, This is not my heritage. I I I I do not hold a five year period in my region's history to be the only thing that 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 we honor. We have a lot more things in the South to actually be proud of than five years of fighting a stupid fucking war where we were the traitors. Like, I, I just I, I don't get this whole idea that, you know, the South will rise again and Southern, you know, Southern heritage. No, no, we have other shit to be proud of. <laughs> like, like, like we made, so much other. Na- we made Nashville hot chicken. We can be proud of that. We, like, we can be I, proud of Dolly Parton. Exactly. Um, oh, love me some Dolly, uh, and and sadly, and and not to not to be negative uh, during this entire thing. A little bit of positivity. We're slowly starting to see those changes happen. I mean, shit, we're getting rid of uh, Nathan Bedford Forrest uh, uh, bust in the state capitol. That is a that is a giant step. It is when you once you start once you start taking out the symbols, you take away the things that people can point at to say, "Look, that's our heritage. That's our that's our history." And for a little bit of comic relief, let's be honest here. Not only was that statue offensive, but it was fucking ugly. It, it was, was real ter- bad. Terrible. <laughs> like, he's um, got the worst, like, half-pained, half-O face I've ever seen on a statue ever. Whoever, like, whatever picture or artwork they used to do that, like, what was he doing in the boat? What was happening there? Why did you choose that? Like, of anything. I mean... So and so and told him that they just lost the war when they took the took the lithograph for the and, picture. And he did um, the Tim Allen face. Oh, oh God. But I, mm, go on, Michael. I, I need no, to say no, it, 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 <laughs> it's fine. It's it's fine. It's like I don't know, like you know, I've I've being from 
having my family from the north, I've been in uh, Murfreesboro for 15 years. And I'm originally from Texas. And what's crazy is, like, yes, there are, like, rebel flags in, in Texas. Um, but, like, a lot of it is more what we what we felt back in Texas was more like state pride and less of southern pride, uh, especially when it comes to the Confederacy. Like, we realized our state's history, not just like not not like, in, you know, including the Civil War, but like beyond that was like so rich and full of, you know, like history and like all this great things that like we took more of a state pride. And like, if you want to show Southern pride, like I always say, like rep your state or your college team, because like that's like being from your state, that's your pride in your in the South. Like you're a state from the South or like if you rep your college team, you know, something that's super Southern, like Southern culture is college football, like the SEC, all that good stuff, uh, like, I- you know. Except for you, that Bama fans. Eagle? Except for you, Bama fans. You can stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No Bama fans. No, that's not. Really <laughs> we're we're more of uh, anybody else. Like literally anyone. War damn eagle, baby. Woo. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, like uh, I, I thank you for for creating um, for, for kind of organizing the movement here in in Murfreesboro, um, and I'm kind of curious. As you see, like the uh, we, we kind of touched on it earlier, but as you see these kind of the, not a, I, I don't want to say like a protest because it's not a protest anymore. It's a movement. Uh, as you see the movement growing throughout the country, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you maybe in some way like helped create that or or you know, like you like maybe you helped it just a little bit or do you um, feel you know, sometimes it's hard um, to really analyze like what kind of an impact uh, you have when you put something up like that. Like, you know, um, it's not getting shared anymore and people aren't talking about it, but there's still an Occupy uh, movement going on in Nashville right now. They're on day like 30 something or 20 something of trying to occupy the old pl- the old uh, legislative plaza and turn it into Ida B. Wells Plaza and have conversations with the with the governor. Uh, you know, they've been under a lot of scrutiny um, about like the police taking their stuff, seizing it, all that kind of stuff, doing some real extra legal activities that they're throwing under really vague legal codes. Um, I know the leader of it or one of the leaders of it, Justin Jones, he's been arrested like 12 times this whole like this whole process. And he's still and he, you know, he gets bailed out. They drop the charges and he goes right back to it. And like, I wish I could definitely do something along those lines. Um, the issue is, it's like, like I'm personally down for the movement. And like, I would love to see just to take fire, really. And like, you know, everything. But as like a as like a white guy, it's like you know it's not my place to sit here and continually be um, leadership. And you know, I I, I de- what I kind of wanted to do was like get other people, like people of color, to really kind of like want to do more and like you know get involved and things like that. So I reached out to you know black churches around here and stuff, um, been to like a couple barber shops and whatnot. But I think the mood here in Murfreesboro is. Like you said, it's a quiet town, and that's why a lot of people like it. Um, but I know we made some lists um, after the first protest, and like we got some national attention. I think we got some, we got statewide attention after the protest I put on. And you know, when when you see, and from what I've been talking to the Nashville people, it's like when they see smaller towns, not Nashville, doing their own protest, it encourages them to keep going because. Obviously, Nashville has more people. Obviously, more people be able to protest. 
but like you got to keep the passion um, alight. And that's kind of what's important about smaller town movements. Like, yeah, we're not going to have 2000 people every protest we throw, but, you know, 200 people at least shows their solidarity. And, you know, solidarity forever is kind of like just what I go by. There's somebody being oppressed. Solidarity. Always make the move. Yeah, like 200 people at one protest could easily turn into 300 people and those 300 people could turn into 500 people. Um, Like movements don't start big. They start small. Uh, I mean, like case in point, what's going on in the the rest of this country, like in like Portland and Chicago, fucking Louisville had a big one that showed up that like got a blip on the radar as far as national coverage. Uh, That one actually got someone got shot at. So um, that's fun. and, and, and I, I talked about this um, with other people um, and, and I said, you know, I understand like protesting and stuff like that. It can, it can be physically and mentally draining. I mean, we, I think we all can agree that, you know, keeping up this movement can physically and mentally drain you to the point where you kind of become a little bit desensitized to it. You're like, I'm just, I'm, I'm done with it. I'm tired of fighting. I just need to sit down. Those are very important moments. Um, and if anyone's listening to this and they're taking part of those protests in, in Nashville or Portland or anywhere else like that, uh, understand you don't have to constantly be fighting. That's what they're planning on. That's what they want you to do. They want you to be constantly going and constantly on point. Sometimes you need to, to take a step back and breathe and, 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 and take it in what you're doing. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, anyone who knows me in my personal life will know that. Uh, for the two weeks leading up to in the week after uh, your protest, Michael, I basically everything I was talking about, whether it was in person or online, was related to it. Um, and I had a couple people, some of them of color, come up to me and go, dude, we had no idea. I said, man, I've always felt this way. I just didn't speak up. And that's my own shit that I got to bear. Um, and a couple days after the protest, I was like, all right, guys, I'm still here. I need a break. I got to recharge because if I don't, I'm going to burn out. And that's the last thing I want is to burn out because this needs to keep going. So, yes, take a break. Let yourself recharge. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, um, like you ju- it's just like because I went I went to a bunch of the Nashville protests as many as I could before I kind of did something here. And, you know, it's a thing. And like I was there from the start till like at one point there was 15 of us left and we're at the courthouse like, you know, and it is it's draining. Like the next day, I just like I couldn't even do anything. and always take that break but like even on your breaks like all, like you know i i was like i was telling somebody it's like what you expect us to post about black lives matter even if we support it but everybody's doing it what does that matter I was like but it's the awareness it's showing like it's showing your your friends that are black or brown or people of color in general that like no like this is where you stand you got their back like showing solidarity is so important so even if it's a dumb you know, turning your Facebook profile black or something like if, if it's that minuscule, like that still shows people that like you care. That's important. Like, you you know, we talk, we talk about it. Like I've been, far have I gotten into the act? We talk about like, not everyone's a frontline person. Don't feel pressured to actually per- actively participate in these protests, especially if you have like really bad anxiety or you're like, you're just scared. You know, it's a scary thing going up against, you know, hundred 50 cops and riot gear 
shields and batons. It's it's terrifying. You know, we were surrounded at one point on Broadway and it was just like, holy crap. Um, it's not for everybody, but there's other things you can do. You can help organize. You can do you can like bring snacks. There's like medic roll towards the back. And like, you know, you don't actively have to be on. the. There's so right. much you can do to help. Yeah, every right. every little bit helps. It doesn't matter how big or how small. Every little bit helps. Um, I, I think even even with all the negativity you've received from having done that, I think you should be very proud of what you accomplished. Um, aside from a couple of assholes, um, we didn't really, you know, have anything break down into ridiculousness. Um, I'd like to say well, that's they fucking. They fucking knew. I mean, come on. There were like 15 of them uh, and like say, 100 and 100 we're, we're, of us. We outnumbered them 20 to 1. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure all of our collective IQ levels dropped about four points the second any one of them opened their mouths. Maybe that was just me. I don't know. But I felt my IQ dropping a little bit here and there. Uh, yeah, dude, I was like, uh, I, I lived, I lived in the South my entire life. I'm, I've been so desensitized that dumb bullshit is not even funny. <laughs> like, oh, oh, and you can also, uh, Tell your mother uh, when she fired back at the preacher while we were silently kneeling respectfully uh, after we got done silently kneeling respectfully when she fired back at him. It was all I could do not to walk up and fucking hug her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, we we grew up really like like, I'm no longer religious. Um, I would identify as like an agnostic person. But, you know, growing up, we were Catholic, Pentecostal. So like. When people like try to push me on Bible knowledge or religious knowledge, like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm like this by choice, not because I don't know it. I know all of it. She knows so much. We have like these, we have books that like literally delve into like each verse and stuff, like still around the house. That's right. like, she knows what she's talking about when she does like that. And like, she's still religious in a sense, not like she was. So it upsets her. People twist like the word as you would call it. Uh, me, I'm just like, no more religion. Um, but- <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Break the chains that hold you down, my brother. I'm like- right? like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think people get the Bible and scheme, so maybe we should just like not listen to it so much. Yeah, um, what, what's that? Which one? is going to be a battle. What's that one I showed you the other day, John? If you've read, if you own a Bible and you've never read it, you're Catholic. If you own a Bible and cherry pick it, you're an evangelical. If you own a Bible and you've read all of it, you're an atheist. <laughs> and here I am. Because right? <laughs> yeah. I like, used to be Pentecostal, too. So when you said that, I was like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> oh, it's like, you know, you like, you know, like, you know <laughs> so much. And people like throw scripture at you and you're like, yeah, no, I know. But then there's like, because my biggest thing is, um. I had some friends that are like super religious and they were talking to me about like my political viewpoints and how theirs is tied into their faith, which no, thank you. That's so dumb. But um, Jesus wasn't a capitalist. He was a socialist. Yeah. Even then it's like we like laws should be made based off statistics and variables and facts, not what your book that's 10,000 years old says like pass. Um, but like, they'll throw scriptures at me and I'm like, okay, so there's that scripture. And then here's this scripture that contradicts it completely two books later. If you cannot tell if you cannot sit here and admit to me that the Bible itself is full of contradictions, then your opinion just doesn't matter to me anymore. Like (laughs) as rough as that sounds, it's like, I know, like you're saying (laughs) and it's crazy because like they talk about, oh, abortion's killing, but I'm like, okay, but like, look at right here in the Bible where it says. 
if a woman who is pregnant commits this crime, stone her to death, who cares about the fetus? It's like, you can't uh, tell me like that's killing at all. Hold on. Numbers. I think it's five eleven. Yeah. Uh, it literally, there's literally a part in the old, old Testament that gives step-by-step step how a priest can basically cause an abortion out of a unfaithful woman. It's uh numbers five, 11 through 31. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, that's, you know, the listener's homework. Um, go read through that. It's like, it'll blow your fucking mind. You're like, holy shit. Like, no, God's okay with abortion. Just so long as it's, you know, a unfaithful person. <laughs> but like, yeah. And, 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 and the craziest thing is like, you know, okay. Like people cherry pick from the old Testament and cherry pick from the new Testament. It's like, okay, well you, you can't sit here and say like, if Jesus says, not Jesus, if, um, if Paul, I think said, if you follow one part of the law, you have to follow the whole law. And it's like, okay, so you can't work on the Sabbath. Otherwise we're going to stone you to death. You can't, um, you can't touch dead pig or eat dead pig. Otherwise we get to stone you to death. Like chill. You know what I'm saying? Like, like just stop, like take it for what it is as a compass. Don't take it as like literal laws you should live by. Right. Right. It was designed as a morality tale and something else that people tend to forget, which me and my Southern Christian libertarian friend both agree on, um, is that, hey, People need to remember that this is a book that was rewritten and edited 500 years after the fact in a separate country by a bunch of white dudes. The, the well, Council yeah. of Nicaea, like, like 500 years yeah. after the fact. Well, and then none of the Gospels were actually written by the people who they were named after. No. They were like secondhand accounts. So it's right. like even then it's not like it is not accurate. And you don't know how much the Catholic Church messed with it, like it, it, when it first happened. And then you have where homosexual didn't wasn't a word in the Bible until 1948. Yeah. So like you know, it, it's not like you're not you're taking it too literally, and you're falling for all the traps. And then you call me a sheep, like I'm a sheep, but <laughs> you're like you're doing the sheepy thing, like you know, like, unquestioning loyalty. You know, like I'm not bah, a sheep. I'm not a sheep. <laughs> I'm not a sheep. I'm a goat. Um, like, <laughs> I climb mountains. Oh, well, we've had episodes with the Satanist. We actually talked about this multiple times about the path of the goat. Um, we won't talk about that right now. I don't want to implicate <laughs> you into Satanism here. Um, yeah, I'm, already, I'm already stretching the line saying like I'm affiliated with a communist party. You know, so yeah, no, like, <laughs> I mean, you kind of already are a Satanist in their minds. Um, yeah, yeah they, they think I'm godless. It's fine. Which I mean, they're right, but um, <laughs> not, not, not the but, way they think. No, not in the way they think. Um, but yeah, like it, I just, I, I just think that, people have misconceptions about the, about the movement. They, they think that it's all about, um, you know, Marxist propaganda and shit like that, which there's, a, there is a element to of that in these, uh, protests. Of course there is. I mean, it's, you know, socialism works through protests. That's how it always works. It's the way it's always going to work. Um, but they, people also have to understand that like, not everyone that's at these things are socialists. Some of them are libertarians. Some of them are, uh, liberals. Some of them are, uh, enti- you know, are centrist. Uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, before, like before Chris really got radicalized, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching happen. I'm sure you um, did. <laughs> oh, I, I, I loved it. Uh, me and Chris were talking about it and I was like, dude, you gotta understand, like, this isn't this like the whole like defund the police and whatnot. It isn't about getting rid of the police. 
I want to get rid of the police, but that's my own personal political beliefs. I probably, I know I probably will never see that in my lifetime, but it's whatever. Uh, we just like, why the fuck does Murfreesboro PD need a tank? Um, yeah. I, I, I don't two. understand that one. <laughs> it, it's, it's Oh, they have two of them now? Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. It, it's more about reappropriation of funds. So this is this is funny. Uh, I've got a couple of friends uh, that run a, a small independent newspaper uh, based out of Nashville, and I sent them this information. I found the uh, proposed fiscal year 2021 budget for Nashville PD, and I scrolled through it just, just to see what the breakdown was. Um, in an over $200 million budget. That's right, folks. You heard that correctly. $200 million. Their training program, their field training office program, which is designed to go, hey, okay, you, rookie, you just came out of the academy. You get to hang out with this guy for X number of time and learn the ropes in the field. Um, le- less than 10% of the budget goes to that, which to me is like, mm, yeah, there's a problem right there. Like, like it, well, like even with the Nashville um, thing, it's like, um, you know, you, you, you have this allotted amount of funds where they can upgrade and do all this kind of stuff. But then you also have the federal government giving them like millions of dollars to arm themselves. Yep. That's predates back into the 1980s uh, under Reagan, where they were given this extra money from the federal government to literally be a militarized force, which is crazy. Like, like, how do people not understand that? Like, this is not what, a, like, not what a police force. And I've actually had conversations with conservatives that want to abolish the police. Like, you know, I obviously do as well. But their view is like, abolish the police force, but you would be regulated by the sheriff's department because, you know, sheriffs are democratically elected, which would mean you'd have a form of an oversight, you know, right. and you could remove the sheriff and put a new one in and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I could start with that like i would take that step with you obviously the end goal would be no from a policing at all but if that's something we can agree on whereas the you know the chief of police only answers to the mayor so the chief of police isn't elected at all you're like well that's kind of messed up right yeah okay because so, i mean go ahead i was gonna say because like y- you can't when 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 people represent the public, like especially the police, their job is supposed to be de-escalation flat out. The problem is, is that they haven't been trained to do that. No, they, um, they, they haven't. I've had this conversation with my dad before. Um, the reason why de-escalation unfortunately isn't trained is it's a money thing. It is more costly to train de-escalation because it takes more time and you got to get those boys in blue out on the street as fast as you can. And that's unfortunately the long and the short of it. I don't agree with it one bit. It's just, the, the fact of the stupid world that we live in. Um, uh, okay. So as, as we're getting into wrap up time here, Michael, um, so you're, you're about abolish. So for the people listening to get your viewpoint, let's say uh, that it happens. Okay. Let's say police, police forces are gone. What system would you like to see in its place? Cause I think there's a lot of people on the other side from us that think that we don't have a plan for what, that looks like afterwards. So what, what do you see on the other side of that? Should, should we ever get that far? I mean, so like, say this, say this does happen. Um, a lot of this is going to be handled by like, it was just like you said, where defunding means reallocation abolish is still essentially, um, reallocation of funds as well. Whereas you would have, you would essentially compartmentalize what we know as the police force into 
um, not like unarmed um, professionals at what they do. So like, you know, yeah, you still kind of need a full traffic enforcement because people going 100 miles an hour on a 30 mile road is just generally dangerous to the community. But you don't need to have those people armed. You would need them to literally just be like, hey, here's a speeding ticket. Boom. Pay this when you can, but please, you know, just stop speeding. Um, but you would also like, so you'd also have like social workers. They would go to house calls for suicide, um, domestic violence, all these things. And where a lot of people feel that, oh, they can't handle it. Well, that's a lie because social workers literally do all of these things already. They just don't have the funding to do it on a mass scale. You know, when you have professionals trained in areas to do that, um, I actually witnessed a suicide uh, last year and, um, the only person that they had reached out to me was like, oh, you should call the police chaplain. And then they sent a police officer, like a special unit that has like no therapy training to come and talk to me. And it was like it, it essentially equated to what I felt like um, waste of time. Um, the issue with and so when you def when you abolish the police, you also reduce the need for crime. all crime is born out of necessity, um, needing to feed your family, needing to get, escape the poverty you live in, you know, um, like needing to sell drugs to pay the rent, keep the lights on, stuff like that. Like some people will just commit crime. That's bad. So we'd have, we take the detectives that we have currently, and that would kind of be your new criminal task. Literally all they would do is investigate acts of like murder and stuff like that. But like when it comes to things like if you can take care of the community, you can push in you can ensure that everybody has the means for survival, which is like, you know, food, water, place to live, you know, electricity, what what we should be considering human rights. Uh, you you take that motivation out to uh, of the need to commit crimes. Like, you know, when you don't have a motivation to commit a crime, you don't commit. Um, when it comes to traffic stuff and how you're ta like how like traffic um, in, uh, instances can like add up to bills. that be a thing. Well, you know, instead of getting a ticket for having a broken taillight, what if that traffic officer was like, Oh, Hey, like, you know, here's a, you know, like we'll get this changed really quick. And I have some in my car and we'll just change your taillight out really fast. Uh, take care of that. Or, Hey man, your taillight's out. Uh, just take care of that when you can just remember, you know, it's out. This one's out. Like that shouldn't be a ticketable offense. Like some people don't even know that their lights are out. Some people, you know, purposefully ignore because they can't afford it. And, you know, when when you make things cheaper, and this is why I say is the answer. When you make the standard of living higher, you directly see a decrease in criminal activity. Um, because when the poorest is up, they have no reason to steal, commit crimes. Like you would invest in community self governments. Um, I also believe that like. SROs are unnecessary in schools, stuff like that, because that starts the school to prison pipeline. That's a problem. But um, essentially, you would just invest in care for people instead of investing in policing people. That's what abolishing the police means to me. You invest in the community, not in the people that penalize you trying to get by. Uh, I was going to add stuff to that, but he kind of hit all my points. I was about to so, say, yeah, um... I don't think I could have said that any better. Uh, the, the analogy I like to make to people, because uh, a lot of the people that are, seem to be against, a lot of people seem to be against like uh, legalizing marijuana and things like that. I'm like, look, 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 Here, here's the easy way to break down both of these in the same sentence. Are you ready? 
If I yeah. if I have a choice between going to Joe Blow drug dealer down the street who I don't know where it came from. I don't know what he's done to it. I don't know whose ass it was up to get to me. I'm going to pay a little bit less or I can go over here to government man weed store. I'm going to pay a little bit more. I'm going to pay some tax on it, but that tax is going to go back to the community. But I know where the hell it came from. I know it was in nobody's ass to get to me. And I know it's not cut with anything. And I know that some of that money is going to go back to my community. Guess which one I'm going to do? Not Joe Blow down the street. And eventually you get rid of Joe Blow down the street, which means you get rid eventually. Obviously, it's a long process, as would abolishing the police be. You eventually get rid of that need. That need goes away because you're reinvesting in the community. And, uh, and as someone who is a uh, a user of the marijuanas, um, I I I would rather buy from a store because I actually had that experience. I went to fucking Colorado, and let me tell you something: that is like the fucking promised land of stoners. Um, <laughs> like just a, a menu of 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 cannabis like you you could choose how your your potency levels and stuff like that i can't do that with with the fucking street pharmacist like i just kind of get what i get and i'm happy to have it and i'll pay what i'll pay the price that it is um but i I like what you said of you know community emboldening the community because that's that's the point that's that that's the reason why we don't need police uh, that's the reason why i don't think we need police because police don't do that especially modern day police don't do that um it, it, i mean you don't see like you don't see shit like this happening in very small towns because well you know who the police chief is and he has accountability and much larger metropolitan areas and even like towns like ours uh you don't know who's on the fucking police horse because they, they are they're in and out all the fucking time and a lot of them don't live in the community um so that, that that's the reason why I think that, that that's the reason why I'm for abolishing police and not just, you know, for the anarchist reasons of, I don't think, pe- you know, a person should tell a person how to live. Um, weird. I know, but, uh, <laughs> uh I'm one of those weird ones. Uh, but yeah, I just, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know how to, how to put, how to paint this picture any better than what Michael or Chris have said here. Um, they, they, they kind of hit all my points. So, you know, I just feel like we get um, really like stuck on the legalization of marijuana. And like, I definitely agree with that. And, you know, I'm a user myself. Um, so like, you know, I'm definitely pro that. I just I, I think we it's stuck on that when it comes to like, like um, decriminalizing things, uh, because like, yeah, it's super important. And like, you know, if you legalize something like that, especially if you have alcohol and cigarettes already have legalized, which will kill you eventually. Uh, that shouldn't be something that's criminalized. But I, I think we get stuck because because as it is something that is super important to decriminalize and make sure all these people that have been put in prison for having a dime bag or something like, yes, absolutely. But I think I think with policing, it, it should be it should be more community based because when you know somebody who's like kind of look there when you feel like the police are looking out for you, essentially just look at like white suburban communities versus um, black communities of poverty um, or just really any community in poverty. There's the look of like white suburban communities look at the police as a protector versus um, black poverty communities look at police as a threat. Uh, essentially speaking is you have to decriminalize what makes people like 
get to that. Treat drugs as a mental illness. And I mean, I don't right. cap classify, you know, weed as like the same kind of drug. But instead of criminalizing cocaine or somebody who's addicted to crack, um, instead of making it illegal, just be like, hey, you know, you have all of this dope and have OD twice. Let's get you some help from a professional drug counselor. Yeah, um, treat yeah. Uh, treat addicts like like they're like they have a sickness instead of treating them like criminals. You know, what a concept, crazy, <laughs> right? Like, and it's crazy where I get this from, but I think it's great. I think I've heard it somewhere else before. But what most sticks out of my mind is I watched um, I was watching Doom Patrol on DC Universe. Hell yeah, and, I love that show. <laughs> so great, so great. Yeah, um, but you know, Cyborg meets this girl, and she said nobody should be judged by the worst thing they've ever done, and like that, like kind of hit that kind of like you know hit me because I'm like no, like. Just because somebody OD'd in a car 12 years ago and then they're a different person now, you shouldn't bring up what happened 12 years ago because they're not that same. It's like right. George Floyd, they used like his criminal record uh, past to discredit him. Well, not only was it 13 years ago, but it doesn't really matter because why are you judging somebody for the worst thing they ever did instead of judging by the best thing that they ever did or what they can see? even do and so like right. my like so when i when we get to talk when we get to talk about weed i'm like for sure ish i have my own issues with colorado and how they handle it like it's a weird system that most of the like just dis, like the dispensaries there are like white owned versus like mm-hmm. black people in colorado were dealing marijuana for decades but and still in jail for it too you know? yeah and that's just more capitalism bullshit and how capitalism is propped up by white supremacy and sexism and all of the good things um, that we love here in America, apparently. Who I don't think we have time to get into that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, no, like that's, a, that's a whole other thing. Um, definitely would, wouldn't hate coming back on here to talk about some more stuff. Anytime. But uh, that's, yeah, that's definitely a long conversation. And uh, that's, that's my calendar getting added to right now. Uh, dates will be confirmed later, listening audience. Uh, um <laughs> Oh, we should get Yogi in for like the next time we get Michael back in. Oh, yeah, that would be a good dynamic, actually. I think uh, Yogi would have a lot of fun here. <laughs> um, but but yeah, uh, I guess since we're wrapping up here, uh, Michael, do you want to like promote anything that you're doing right now? Potentially like any social media or anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, people are more um, to follow me on Twitter, Instagram. It's just the Sangetti. Um, I, I don't really do, I don't do a whole lot. I just kind of spread awareness. Um, I know, um, my group resist Murfreesboro is holding a school drive. Um, we're looking to donate like PPEs and school supplies to teachers because they're being forced back into schools and they're having to buy a lot of this on, they're not getting extra funds. Um, I have some friends that are in the Brotherford County school system, just worried to death. And so we're doing a school drive. If you want to go to resist Murfreesboro, um, we have, uh, it's a page. It's all over the page about um, the school driver doing. Um, I'm gonna, you know, if you want to f- follow me on Twitter or Instagram at the Sangetti, or you want to just find me on Facebook at Michael Sangetti, I'm gonna be starting a soon. It's just gonna be an online book, kind of go over Marxism and read like Das Capital, and Manifesto, and some more by and then stuff like that. And we, will have, that, I don't really. and we will have all those links down in the description in the show notes for you guys. Um, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. And as you previously mentioned, we will definitely have to have you back for the second half of uh, every fucking thing else going on in the world right now. <laughs> Which that's, will, a, that's a great title. That, that'll be the title for that episode. Every fucking thing else going on. 
Yeah. Uh, no, great. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Got a lot of fun. I had a good time. Thanks so much for inviting me on here. Yeah, no problem, dude. Keep resisting. <laughs> for sure, man. Solidarity, guys. And there you have it, folks. Episode 34 of the Anarchy Arena podcast, The People's Episode, featuring Mr. Michael Sanghetti. Now, as you heard, we're obviously going to have to have him back for another episode of every fucking thing else going on in the country. Uh, That'll certainly be an awesome conversation, just as this was an awesome conversation. We really enjoyed having Michael on here and having him talk about what went into the protest and the fallout, as well as everything else. Uh, But not quite everything else, because that's what will come the next time Michael shows up. Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. And as always, we will see you next time on the Anarchy Arena podcast.